The stories contained in this podcast are the recollections of the guests we've invited onto the show. We are an outlet for people to share their truths, and we accept no legal responsibilities for the stories contained herein. I'm Kendra Sheets. And I'm Rich Gill. And this is Enough, a podcast that aims to shine light into the darkened corners of the music industry while discussing the ways we can and should improve ourselves and in turn our community. All right, we are back for another episode of Enough. So we are here with our first guest of 2024, Emily Wolf. Emily, would you be able to give us a little bit of an intro about yourself, um, how you got involved in music, what you do, all of the ins and outs of Emily Wolf? Yeah, I am a musician from Austin, Texas. I've been playing music my whole life, but I really started professionally playing music in college. I had like a band, like a little duo band, and we would play like the coffee shop in college, you know, (laughs) on campus. And then I entered Battle of the Bands and I won. And so I was like, like, maybe I'll just try this. And because I always wanted to play music and be uh, the front person of a band. It was like something that I, I really wanted to do, but didn't know or have the confidence to do it. You know, I didn't know how or how to even start because I don't have family connections in the industry. Like my parents aren't really musical my sister loves music but isn't you know in it and so I just kind of grew up with my door locked and my guitar loud (laughs) you know but yeah I guess after that I I started playing around Austin and then it kind of snowballed from there I I started out as an acoustic act and then and I got sober and I became very rock and which is interesting because sometimes it's the opposite (laughs) I was gonna say it's uh, it's funny how you kind of Flip the script on that one. Usually it's the opposite. (laughs) I mean, I was just straight up singing sad songs and then got sober. And then I just, the thing that was the most healing to me was just ripping on guitar so loud. And so that is kind of how I got into the rock world. And then things just kind of picked up from there. And I started going on tours. And yeah, I just, I tour all the time in the States. And I'm going to do my first European tour next month. That'll be fun. How exciting. Uh, and not to name drop at all, but who are you going on tour with? I'm going to be supporting the Gaslight Anthem, which is, um, they've been one of my favorite bands since high school. And, and I'm Brian not familiar. And I... Could you tell me more about them? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I own like nine t-shirts. <laughs> I mean, I definitely still consider myself in an up and coming act. And not for long. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. it's. I mean, it's been like 10 years of just straight grinding and- I'm hoping that this year will bring some exciting things. But yeah, it's the music industry is so up and down. You just you never know what's going to come. And there's not that one thing that's going to break anybody out. I feel like there's this kind of fantasy where, you know, TV shows and and movies have told us that there's one thing that's going to bust you out. And then overnight, you're going to be the biggest sensation in the world. But it's just not true. (laughs) It's so funny. One of my favorite sayings is like, oh, yeah, it took me like 10, 15 years to become an overnight success. (laughs) (laughs) Grinding it out in coffee shops and basements to be Mm -hmm. that overnight success. Totally. Uh, yeah, I mean, playing to 15 people in somebody's basement, you know, is kind of what I'm used to doing. And then over the past year or so, I, I feel like it's really picked up and I put a new record out last fall and I decided to, to step into my power and not care anymore. <laughs> I just, just fully went for it. Isn't that cool, though, that like it happens with so many different things in life from so many different people that I've spoken to and myself included, like you care so much that you're like holding so tightly onto what you think you want, what you think your life is supposed to be and 
the trajectory that you think you have to have to get to your end goal. But when you kind of just like let it all go and give everything like double middle fingers, it's like, oh, all the waves are coming back. and It's everything that I wanted this entire time. And it's way better than I thought it was going to be. Totally. I mean, that's exactly what happened. Like I had so much anxiety every single day about my career. And, you know, there's something that people always say to me at the merch table because I do my own merch. You know, people always say like, I can't believe you're not playing arenas. And I know it's intended as a compliment, like it, but it, it makes me feel a lot like I'm not doing enough. And so I was holding on to this like intense anxiety. And then this really traumatic thing happened in my life. And I just laid it all to rest. And I threw up two birds. I was like, you know what, if I'm supposed to be in a place in my career where where I'm at a level of like gaslight anthem or something like that, then it's going to happen if it doesn't, whatever. Like, I'll put this record out and this is the piece of art that I can say, this is all that I have. It's everything that I could ever give any anyone in the world. So like, this is the most proud I've ever been of a record and not to be dark, but like if I die tomorrow, like I'm totally great with it artistically. Like just here's the record, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's all about the middle figures. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into the reason that you're here today and we're having this conversation. Let's just dive into it. Yeah. Well, it's a very long story and to just kind of be respectful of, of everybody involved. I'm not going to give a lot of detail, but since this is a podcast about sexual abuse in the music industry, my story that prompted the writing of this album is, is really intense. And someone on my team did sexually abuse someone at a show. And that was devastating to me. And that whole situation ignited a feeling in me that I haven't ever experienced. And someone very close to me did this thing. And, and I, you know, I'm not, I won't say their name. I don't want to put a spotlight on them, but I didn't want to give that person any type of platform out in the world. And so I had to let them go from my team and I had to cancel my tour and take the financial hit and take the, the hit of canceling shows that people are excited to go to. And it was like one of the, the most traumatic things that I've ever been through, knowing that someone I really adored was actually not the person I thought they were. It's kind of crazy. Like you just you see all the red flags after the fact, you know, when you're constructing this like this musical team of all these different people that are coming together in different ways to assist you and to create your sound. Right. They're they're helping you build songs and get albums out there and do all these different things that you have to do as an up-and-coming musician. And that's got to run so deep when you find out that there was like a facade there this entire time. Because when you're with those people, you're with them all the time. You're hanging out, like, you know, you're talking business, but you're also part of their lives, just like any sort of co-worker kind of relationship, right? And so you learn about people. You seem to think you know who they are, and then all of a sudden they flip the switch on you. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, like, because as a traveling team, there's a lot of people involved, and you really do become a family. I mean, you're with them all the time, you know, from waking up, traveling, doing the show, eating lunch, like, all your meals are together. Yeah. You you develop a relationship with, with a team on the road that is really intimate, and it's supposed to be a very safe and platonic 
intimate mm-hmm. type of thing. At least that's what I want for my my team. And I did feel that way up until this incident happened. It was like a baseball bat. I was so disoriented. I had no idea how this could happen. And there was a lot of blaming myself as well because I kind of dismissed this person's way of speaking about people as like locker room talk, you know? Right. And I was saying, well, that's, you know, that's just them. That's who they are. It's the music industry. You know how everyone is. Like, exactly. Yes, exactly. And I take full accountability for that. I should have stepped up and said, is that a joke or do you mean that? You know, but I assumed they were all jokes. You know, for years, I assumed that they just joked all the time, but it gets normalized. Yeah, totally. And and, and it was, yeah. So much time. Yeah. Totally. So much time, so much bonding, you know, and it just really became like running jokes to me. And it, it turns out all of it was just real. And I had no idea. So as a person who takes my art on the road, I could not allow this person to be anywhere near like people who listen to my music can come to the show because I couldn't do it. And it wasn't it wasn't easy. I mean, it was at a point where it was post COVID and, you know, people were starting to come out again. My ticket sales were getting, you know, where they used to be. So you're going back up and then you have a hit and then you start going back down. Oh, my gosh. And and I was really excited. and I was ready and stoked to play music for people who wanted to hear it. And, And and the COVID like I toured through the second wave of COVID as, you know, responsibly as I could. And that was very brutal in terms of attendance. You know, like nobody yeah. came out, which rightfully so. Like, you know, I, I totally get it. Yeah. So it was at a point where I was feeling really good. I was on the upswing and then this bomb drops, you know. But what's interesting is the red flags were always there and I chose to ignore them. And now I am so in tune with my gut if I feel at all anything I just listen to it. I learn that every time something terrible happens and I look back and I say, I really thought, you know, I thought that something like this would happen. Like, because I always told myself like in the past, like, you know what? I don't think this person is going to be with me forever. I don't think this person's going to be on my team forever. I don't know why, but I just have a sense. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And it was totally true. And I mean, it was devastating, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's the story. And then I, I, the only way I knew how to process it was to write about it because I'd never experienced like a split 50-50 of anger and devastation and sadness. Yeah. Like it was just a weird mix of grief stages all together, you know? <laughs> I mean, immediately, like the day that, that I let this person go, I sat down here at my computer and just started writing a record and it came out in like two weeks. Which is crazy because it usually takes me about a year to write a record and everything that happened just fell out. And I don't know. It it was a really interesting experience. So like, I think I really wanted to like come on here and and tell my experience because the way that I was able to heal from this is someone who didn't witness sexual abuse firsthand, but I saw it happen and saw the effects of it. The way that I healed from it was to make art and share it. And I feel like if that's something that victims can grasp onto, then like, you know, maybe that would be a gateway to healing for other people. One thing I want to go back to for a second that Kendra kind of talked about a minute ago was, you know, when you're in a band situation, there's all these people from like managers to booking agents to sound people, you know, actual band members. It is like a family or 
co or as Kendra said, like co-working environment. The one thing with rock and roll is there's no HR department. Like you are the HR department. So you can't, you know, there's no place to report when something like this happens. It's kind of on mm -hmm. you. Were there um, discussions with other people on your team about this? Or were you just like, when it comes down to it, like I'm accountable for all of these people. So I'm just making this decision. This is what's happening. You know, I knew like way, way deep down, you got to let this person go right now. Got to trust the gut. Totally. And the thing that was tough was, you know, we had had shows booked already and like we were literally on our way to one of them when I found all of this out in the van all together. <laughs> and the experience that, you know, all of the years that I, I had this person on my team just came flooding back and I didn't want to let them go because of all the good times we had. Right. But I had to completely set aside my nostalgic kind of emotions and do what a boss would do. And that is like shows off, you know, all of it's off. And I was with another one of my close friends on my team. And yeah, they, you know, I called my dad. I called several of my friends that I feel really close to and respect and who are really like leaders. And just like, what do I do? And, you know, they all said the same thing. They were like, you need to go with your gut and let this person go. And and I did. And it wasn't easy. It was like losing a friend and a family member, but also finding out that that friend and family member was not at all what I had had in my heart and mind about who they were. And yeah, I mean, I did talk to one of my band members and he said, so you're going to fire this person? And it was right outside of like a Houston venue. And I said, man, I don't want to. He's like, Emily, you have to. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I can't. I can't. <laughs> There's no way I could give this person a way to to not take accountability and just kind of let it go because that's how we all get in trouble with this stuff. It's like how we how we get caught back in it and victims become victims. It's like if you don't stop something, it's going to continue. And who knows how many times it's happened before that I didn't know about. So, yeah, I mean, the reason that I make music and the reason that I go on tour is so that people feel a little bit less alone in this insane world. And the fact that someone on my team isolated one of those people devastates me and I'll carry that pain for the rest of my life and I'll channel it and play music with that. And yeah, so that's, that's kind of the story. It's brutal. It's weird how music in general kind of has like crossover and gray area between different aspects of life where you can be, you know, yeah. in this romantic feel good kind of situation, but also have to be a business boss. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's hard to find people to be on on your team who understand that you have to be both of those. You know, I can be your buddy and we can talk about pedals and cheeseburgers and whatever. But <laughs> if I say like, yo, like, please don't play that on this song. Like, you, like, you got to do Listen it. to me. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like it's it's hard to find people like that. But I've been lucky enough to find those now, now that, you know, the team has kind of bled itself of toxicity. Yeah. And now it's great. And for a long time, all I really wanted was revenge and justice. And you sound like me. <laughs> I, really, I really did. I love those things. <laughs> Honestly, revenge is dope. Like, oh, it's so good. It, like, it hits you in the core at like a deep core that nothing else can, like an itch deep inside that nothing else scratches. But sweet, sweet revenge. <laughs> sweet. I know. 
But so like writing the album was for me the justice part, but the revenge part came actually last week for me, which is really cool. It's a very cool story. Okay, so to tell the story, I'll set the stage. All the touring I do, we spend all the time in the van and most of the time in the van and, and we play a lot of music. We play Metallica Mondays, Tool all the time. Just and, and like I had this memory of driving through the desert with my team and playing Tool and we listened to like so many Tool records. And last Tuesday night, I got a text from Adam Jones, who's a guitar player in Tool, and he said, hey, if you're in town, do you want to jam with us at the Moody Center, which is like the biggest venue in Austin? And I was like, uh, yeah, I do. What should I learn? And he said, well, learn the song The Grudge and we'll play it all. Like you play it all with us. It's eight and a half minutes. And I was like, oh my God, okay, yes, I'll do it. And so... I stayed up all night learning it. I love that it's called The Grudge, too. It's just, like, so poetic. Right. But, like, yeah, and fitting. so Tool, you know, the person that caused all of this chaos, their favorite band is Tool. <laughs> and I know that they were at that show. And <laughs> what's hilarious is, like, one, I got to go up on stage with Tool, and they flashed my name up there. And I was up there for eight and a half minutes and took a solo right. and, and got to hang with Tool. And, and it was so interesting. And there was like a moment right before I got on stage where I got really emotional because all I could really picture was like my team and me loving driving through the desert together as a family, listening to this band, listening to this song. And then kind of out of nowhere, I got to achieve revenge and <laughs> play, play this song in front of this person and all of Austin pretty much. I mean, there were like 5,000 people there and it was amazing. Wow. And yeah, it was really cool. It was hard, really hard song. But the thing that like was just so healing for me is I got up there and I played the song and then I just left all of my rage there. I just played it and left it there. And so putting out this record that I put out last fall and then doing this show last week was just like such a such a a gift. A catharsis. Man, you are not even going to have to bring anything to Europe because you've left all your baggage. <laughs> <laughs> but up, um, <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> but yeah, it was, yeah, it was nuts. I guess the reason that why I tell this story is like for anybody who's listening, like I just feel like karma definitely exists because that's crazy. It's like too much of a coincidence. I know, it's nuts. It's nuts. And it's like my music, is very different than tools. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it's 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 rock, but it's not like, you know, polyrhythmic metal like that. And yeah, you're not doing 13 minute. Like, <laughs> not yet. Psychedelic. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. It was just so great. It was so great. But yeah, karma exists and it, it always works in favor of good is what I've learned. You know, the other interesting part with all of this is talking about music as a family like a band, a team, all the people as a family. In certain ways, that also extends to the audience. Like they're equating love and hate and all these emotions, very intimate feelings with songs that these bands write and perform. And when, you know, they're at a show, they feel that connection. And, you know, there's that intimacy and trust. And, you know, you want to make sure that you're fostering that and not betraying that or having people around that are betraying that. And it's hard when something like that happens because 
it's a betrayal on multiple levels and sides. Yeah, definitely. This person's family felt like my family too. And right. that's how close we were, you know? And so I essentially do feel like I lost an entire branch of of family. But I just know that it wouldn't be a good thing to have them on the road with me like ever again. And I guess the bigger that my career gets, the more opportunity would present itself for them to do this. I just can't be the catalyst for that. It was the hardest decision that I had to follow through with, but I had to follow through with it, you know? And that's like how, I feel like that's how it should be. If there's something like that going on, like, gotta just, you can't perpetuate it, you know? Yeah, the hard decisions are the ones that people never want to make, but they're usually the right ones. Yeah, and there's no like, well, maybe this was just like... A one-time sexual abuse thing. Yeah, a, a yeah, isolated incident. Maybe they were drunk. Maybe they were high. Maybe they were whatever reasons. It's like, no, like you, there's no levels to... Yeah, a bunch of people get drunk and high all the time. They're not going around assaulting people. Right, totally. yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's like, I just knew that all of it was... You know, I, I believe victims and it doesn't do anybody any good to to be like, well, maybe they're li like, why would why nobody right. would right. make it up? You know, <laughs> it's not like a fun thing to talk about. And like, yeah. And this information coming to me, it was it was brutal. And I honestly wouldn't wish any of it on anybody because it was like not even my worst enemies because it was like so awful. I mean, there were days that I just went outside with my wife and laid on the concrete and had, we were just in silence, like not being able to grasp what we had just been through and what the victim had just been through and how close we were. And I mean, I threw up after I had to, to do it. It was brutal. Like, But some of the most beautiful things can come out of the most intense pain. And for me, like, I don't know if this record would have than what it is if it's this hadn't happened and you know in a really like i it's a weird thing to say but it would be a different record and so i'm hoping that it can you know help anybody who's been through anything like this that any from any kind of viewpoint you know whether it's firsthand if you're a friend or a family member of someone who's experienced it i think that's kind of what i really want to do is just help people heal from the pain that I know I went through and I, I can't imagine that I'm the only one who's been through this though it's you know a universal thing that we just we have to talk about because it's everywhere especially in music and it's cool that you guys have a have a podcast about it I think it's really brave and helpful to a lot of people thank you <laughs> I was gonna say that's the stuff that we keep we have to keep in mind when we're getting DMs of angry tweeted at and <laughs> Instagram dad. Yeah. So uh, the anger, you know, uh -huh. isn't it weird? It's weird. Like when you call people out and then they are like, you know, they get mad at you. It's like, nah, like I'm just telling the truth of yeah. what you did. <laughs> Sorry that you're mad at this dude in a band who did something you don't like and I'm yeah. the one who told you about it. But like, <laughs> you can't be mad at me for something someone else did. I just gave you a fact. Sorry, yeah. please leave me alone. <laughs> Why are you trying to ruin this person's career? Well, aren't they the person who kind of 
like ruin totally. what they're doing. They're by... the ones in a van going around assaulting people on every tour. Like, I'm not doing yeah. that. I'm just telling you what's happening. Please don't yell at me via the internet. <laughs> <laughs> it's so wild that like people like, God, way to shoot the messenger, but I don't know. That's crazy that you guys have trolls. Like what? Like who are these people? <laughs> give me give me their names and numbers. I and will I'll record about them. I'll send them to you. <laughs> there are a couple of very specific ones that Oh yeah, one who won't quit. Um <laughs> But as we're kind of talking more about the album, let's talk about Silencer because yeah. this entire experience, there's a video short about it, which is the very first thing that I ever saw or heard about or from you, and I was like, Holy shit. All of this, yes. Is it available online? Not yet. Okay, because I know it wasn't before. Well, the thing is, it was supposed to come out in December, but it'll it'll be out this year, though. And then I've got two other songs that'll come out with it. Awesome. Let's talk Silencer anyway. Okay. (laughs) I was just going to say, I remember you talking about the extra songs at the Austin Q&A. Yeah. um, It's cool that those are coming out. Awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. I think think the doc will come out in April because... The plan is to like kind of gain some momentum in Europe and then throw it out there. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's a good plan. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> okay. So I'll restate what I said. So the very first thing that I saw or heard about you or from you is part of a documentary that's going to be out later this year. And it was a kind of video short about the recording of one of the songs on the album called Silencer. There's a lot going on in that video short. Can you tell us a little bit about the song, writing it, what it's about, and then the process of recording it was just absolutely visually wild to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That song is probably like, I don't even know how to describe it, but that song is like the thing that pushed me into my own rage and allowed me to own it because I wrote it just so angry. And it's the first time I've ever. You done, can like, tell, and I love yeah. it. Like it's, it's like my favorite one. I'm like, oh man, That's there's great. so much here. I just love it. <laughs> I was so pissed, and I didn't even know what to do with it. So I put it in a song. And at the time, I had been listening. I, I really wanted to just. I was like, what's the most raw sounding era? And it was '90s grunge. And so I put on a ton of Veruca Salt, yeah, and a ton of Nirvana, and <laughs> and I just like let it just soak into every cell that I have. And I said, you know what? I need to do some punk vocals on the second verse. And I've never done that before. And it's like a spoken word kind of thing. And it was really just really new for me. And in order to kind of, like I was doing vocals on that song, in order to get in the headspace of of getting the right take, like I had to be so angry. And <laughs> when I was letting this person go from my team, I got a recording of it in case I needed it for any future evidence. And in the state of Texas, it's legal for one party to record without the other person knowing. So it's legal. But I got a recording of it just for me, just to have. It's not anywhere out there. It's just for me. And so I listened to that recording and I listened to their justifications and their lies and the shock that I would let them go. And it put me right back in the, that moment. And I'm getting chills just thinking about all of that. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, I'm also angry well, by default. <laughs> well, it was it was just crazy, like because I produced the record myself, and I've never produced before, but I knew that like these songs are not gonna be what I want them to be if anyone else produces this. So I have to do it. I have to step up. I have to do what a producer would do, 
what would a producer do? I took a little like a page out of like a method actor's book and and I listened to this recording to make myself so angry and it worked. And like I also really wanted to get a straight jacket like really bad to do the vocals so that my, my lungs would feel compressed and that I would be just like so just raw. Turns out I couldn't afford a straight jacket. So I they're got expensive. <laughs> they're so expensive. Yeah. They're like four or five hundred bucks. And so anyway, I had a friend who was with me, like gaff taped me around my chest. Like I was like tight, dude, as tight as you can. So like she did. And this is all in the video, by the way, like you're mm -hmm. watching this happen. And it's so interesting, but also off-putting to see you just sitting there back straight, completely like binded together, leaning over towards like a microphone. <laughs> and you and aside from that, you also there's footage of you like you can't hear what's being said, but of you listening to the recording and like mm -hmm. you can there's one point where you're just like like I'm I'm shaking. Yeah. It's such a such a visceral response. It is. Yeah. And we had to kind of keep it vague. So I'm not sure that people will understand unless they hear this podcast that that that's what I was doing. But yeah, I mean I was shaking because I really felt like I was in the room back with this person i mean and i i wanted to feel like i couldn't breathe and like i was also somehow being like hugged <laughs> because i was so out of my comfort zone that i i had to be compressed somehow and the only way to do that was with gaff tape just super tight around my body and that's how i got the take you know and it was crazy the aftermath of that because i I didn't, it's like, what, what just happened? <laughs> like, I had to go to the bathroom and just like sit there and just like be where I was for five minutes and remember like, okay, I am here. That was in the past. And right. now all the take is gone and it's good. <laughs> you know, like I'm excited for people to see that because there's a lot of things that you can do as a producer that are just weird that a lot of, a lot of people are too afraid to do. Again, like this thing happened to to a per, to this person and, and to me and the, the the effects of this person's actions were just like the ripple effects were so mm -hmm. far and i just decided to not be nice anymore about it and the way that i got justice was writing songs and putting them out everyone processes trauma in different ways and yours happens to be on tape and on video where people can kind of see see someone going through that and you know maybe feel like less alone in a way or this is how i process trauma this is how this person like we're all different in how we do that so it's a really cool thing that you're putting that out there being so raw and vulnerable i love rawness i think it's like the most authentic thing a person can be and the director jen park hill of this documentary is a very close friend and she you know knew the entire story and i didn't even know that she was filming certain parts because she was so like stealthy about it and <laughs> and felt like it's weird because i knew she was there but i i didn't feel scared to disclose anything and that's a really rare thing in a director and a, a producer. And it was just so cool to work with a buddy. And I think it felt like having like rails that I could hold on to if I needed to, but I didn't have to, you know. And Jen 
and a couple other people, you know, my wife and I told them about this experience and, and they really restored our faith in people again, because for a minute there, I was just not having it. Gets, it. Was, <laughs> it gets rough. <laughs> the trust is like out the window with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would go to the grocery store and just see everybody as a predator, you know, everybody. It was like a weird PTSD thing because it's like, I have no idea who this person is. I have no idea who any of my friends are. It was just so disorienting. Welcome to the Enough Podcast. I see you put on our glasses and how we see the world. <laughs> well, yeah, but but I mean, it dissipated after a while, especially meeting good people and, and holding on to the ones who are good and genuinely like are just great people and they're out there for sure sometimes they're hard to find but they're they're there they exist enough is a podcast centering on surviving abuse harassment and assault in the music scene to help get the word out please like and subscribe and share with your friends if you have been on the receiving end of harm from someone be it artist venue owner booking agent audience member or someone else and would like to share your story on a future episode, please reach out to us at thisisenoughpodcast at gmail.com. All correspondences are kept confidential. <laughs>